The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the doctrine of every Christian. Faith is something that without it, it's impossible to please God. And hope carries its possessor to a promise of better things. On this Resurrection 2023, I'd like to share with you why Christ's resurrection is our faith and our hope. Peter wrote it there in verse 21 when he said that you believe in God who raised him from the dead, speaking of Jesus, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Today, our brief time together, we're going to explore some phenomenal facts about his resurrection. We will examine some realities about faith, and we will close with a reminder of how hope and our hope in Christ makes our faith secure. We'll have some references to verses up above and and. Through the course of the message this morning, if you want to turn to a few of them, I'll try and instruct us. But I'd like to begin this morning by glancing back in a time in my own life, back to my high school years in San Lorenzo, at San Lorenzo High, 1968, 1969, and 1970. Specifically, in those later years, a couple of classes that I was enrolled in one of them, my art class, and the other, mathematics. My art class was one of my favorites because you could sit and dream and draw. My math class was my conundrum because it was hard work and numbers. And I've never really gotten past the fact that math and I don't get along. If you get along with it, God bless you. But I was surprised to find a discovery of some phenomenal mathematical facts that surround the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that a man named Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks? He was uh, chairman of the science division and at one point the Mathematics and Astronomy Chair, both at Pasadena College and then later at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. He begins in his book with some interesting observations that as a chair of science and mathematics, the curriculum was a book called Young's General Astronomy. Young was the author And the name of the book was General Astronomy. And he found that Young's General Astronomy, which was published in 1898, was filled with mistakes. And yet the Bible, written over 2,000 years ago, was completely accurate. He stumbled across things like the shape of the earth in Isaiah 40, verse 22. Gravity can be found in Job 26.7. 
The atmospheric circulation can be found in Ecclesiastes 1.6. Ocean currents are spoken of in Psalm 8.8. 8. The hydraulic cycle in Ecclesiastes 1.7 and Isaiah 55.10. And the second law of thermodynamics in Psalm 102 and Romans 8. So with those profound discoveries, he decided to calculate the probability of one man fulfilling even 48 scriptures. And of, of eight scriptures, rather, I'm sorry. He calculated the, the probability of one man fulfilling eight scriptures. Three of those that he gives in his book is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem according to Micah 2.5. And so what he did is he took the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah until the present when he was writing this book, would have been 1958. And he divided that average population on the earth at the same period of time and came up with 2.8 times 10 to the fifth power. The second one he looked at was that a messenger will prepare the way for the Messiah. We all know, many of us, that John the Baptist did that. But he took the verse from Malachi 3.1. And one man in how many the world over has had a forerunner, in this case it was John the Baptist, to prepare a way for the Messiah. He estimated that at 1 times 10 to the third power. The third one that is clearly available is that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, according to Zechariah 9.9. And we celebrated Palm Sunday last Sunday where we recognized Christ came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, declaring himself as the Savior. And that one man would have entered Jerusalem as a ruler on a donkey was estimated to be one times ten to the second power. Did you know that Christ's coming fulfilled over 300 prophecies of Scripture? And that the conservative odds of just 48 of those prophecies being fulfilled are, listen, ten to the 157th power. That's a 10. That's a 1, rather. I told you I don't get along with math. That's a 1 followed by 157 zeros. Now, let's just see if we can wrap around how big that number is. We'll take a very small object like an electron. And electrons are so small that if you line them up all together, it would take two and a half quadrillion of them to make one inch. That's how small electrons are. And let's take one inch of electrons and throw them into a pile and stir them up for 2,000 years and then blindfold a man. And before we put them back in the pile, we color one of them red. 
And we throw it in the pile and we blindfold the man and we ask him to reach in on the very first time and pull out of two and a half quadrillion one electron. Those are the odds that 48 of the prophecies would be fulfilled. There are so many general prophecies. We have a few of them up on the screen. Have to do with the fact that The scripture said the serpent would be crushed by the seed. Genesis 3.15, God was speaking to Satan, the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the woman who would bring forth the seed. And between your seed and her seed, he, the seed of the woman, speaking of Jesus, he will bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he's going to crush you and step on you. As he did at the cross of Calvary. Another prophetic utterance was, has to do with the rock that brought life-giving water. Exodus chapter 16, uh, chapter 17, sorry, the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt. They were on their way through the Sinai Desert. They were thirsty. They complained to the Israelites. And what happens? Moses says, God, what do I do? And God says to him, Behold, stand before there on a rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that my people, that the people may drink. And so Moses did, and the water came out, and the people drank. But Paul tells us, in fulfillment of that, in 1 Corinthians 10.4, that all of them drank the same spiritual drink from the rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The prophetic utterance of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, Ruth chapter 4, Ruth was a Moabitess, but Boaz was an Israelite. And Ruth found herself in the comfort and the care of this Israelite, though she was a Moabite. And her former mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her, Blessed be the Lord not left you this day without a close relative, a kinsman redeemer. May his name be famous in all of Israel. And Matthew, when he writes his gospel, he brings it home to us in the lineage of Jesus. He says that Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. You may recall who Rahab was. She was a, a prostitute that was saved in the conquering of Jericho. But Rahab gave Boaz, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Ruth begot Jesse, who was the father of David, who was in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. It's amazing. It can go on and on. But let's talk about prophetic utterances about his death and his burial. Isaac, in Genesis 22, was a type in that they walked three days and Abraham was 
to put his son, his only son whom he loved, and offer him as a sacrifice to God. Jesus was also referred to as the Passover lamb. Exodus 12, when the Israelites were uh, under the fear of the, the angel of death coming through all of Egypt, that last plague to kill the firstborn, all the firstborn in Egypt, and the instruction that they had that they were to kill a lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish, and they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to strike the lentils uh, and post, the door that blood, so that whenever the angel of death passed over that house, they would, he would not destroy the residents. We're told in Psalm 34, the Passover lambs were never... Uh, their legs were not to be broken. Psalm 34, 20, may, Many are the righteous afflictions, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, and not one of them is broken. Christ on the cross didn't have his legs broken. And then you have things like three days and three nights for Jonah in the belly of a fish, and Jesus even saying in Matthew, 12, he said, uh, as Jonah was in the belly of a fish, Jonah chapter 1, verse 7, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth. Prophetic utterance is fulfilled, but I promised this morning that we would explore some phenomenal prophetic facts about his resurrection. And I'd like to take you there. I think we have these on the screen as well. Yep, that's the one. First of all, Leviticus 23.10, when God gave instruction to his people Israel, through Moses, God told Moses to speak to the children of Israel and say to them that when you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest. Well, that was actually a prophetic looking forward to Christ who would be the first fruits from the dead. That was fulfilled in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Paul writes, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. We are promised in the scripture that he would ascend. Psalm 68, 18, you have ascended on high and you have led captivity captive. Remember the end of the Gospel of Luke when uh, his disciples are standing there and uh, they, they see Christ ascend to the heavens and they're looking and an angel comes and says, what are you guys looking at? This same Christ will again come to you in the same way that he has left. He will come to planet Earth. Jesus himself, remember, saying that he would rebuild the temple the religious leaders argued with him about how could he say he'll rebuild the temple in three days? And Jesus was talking about his resurrection. I will build, rebuild this temple in three days. Others, 
up on the screen are Psalm 1610, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Isaiah 26.19, Isaiah 53.10, one of my favorites, Hosea 6.1, I'll read it, says, Come and let us for he has turned, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And after two days, he will revive us, and the third day, he will rise, raise us up. We may live in his sight. Indeed, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to our faith. Many of you probably already know that and understand that. But Christianity is under great attack today. Why do you believe what you believe? And how do you know what you believe? Today, as I speak, Israel is under great pressure to enter into war. Syria has begun to throw bombs. And now they're being attacked from three different sides, all of which are marching us forward to a day in which we know as the coming again of the Lord. Why do you believe what you believe? Because the scriptures are clear. They can be trusted there were others that died in Scripture, yes. The widow of Zarephath's son. Shumanite woman's son. The man that came out of Elisha's grave. The widow of Nain's son. Jairus' daughter, remember? Various saints, Matthew 27. Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. Eutychus in Acts chapter 20. Jesus called Lazarus up to live again in John 20, but all of them died. See, here's the difference. Not one religious leader in the world can validate or be validated. Moses, as great as a prophet as he was, died. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Baha'u'llah of the Baha'i faith is dead. And all other founders that have said they have a market on the one true religion have died. Only Christ. Only Christ rose from the grave. According to his father's will, according to what he prophesied. And because of that, he stands alone with this miracle of establishing once and for all his deity and his lordship. But let's talk about faith. Faith is an interesting thing. As I said earlier, without it, no one can please God. It's been said that there can be no true discipleship. Would you call yourself a disciple of Christ this morning? Now, before you answer that, let's examine the word disciple. It, it means to be a learner. Someone who has said in this life, I will spend my life learning about Christ. And there is no true discipleship without a profound and unquestioning faith in the living God. Hudson Taylor said, all God's saints who have been weak 
who have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. It's not about our talents or gifts or what we're good at or what we think we know how to navigate. God actually takes the weak and raises them up if they believe by faith that God can do that. Now, what's important to know about faith, and it's, it's up there, is that faith always is based upon one of two things. A Christian's faith should always be based upon one of two things. A promise that God gives in the scriptures or a command that God gives in the scripture. A promise or a command. And they're interchangeable. But what happens is when a, a believer, a Christian, is reading the word of God and God speaks to their heart through a promise or through a command and the Holy Spirit begins to cause that word to come alive in the heart, causes that word to like land. Now, I know everyone here is probably spending hours in their Bible. Maybe not. I don't spend hours in my Bible, maybe a handful. But the thing of it is, is that the best Bible you can own is the Bible you will read. And it's simple to just say, Lord, I'm reading your word. If you have something to say to me, speak. And God will lift that written word and make it a living word and place it into the heart, whether it's a promise or a command. I mean, you think of some of the examples. We have Abraham and Sarah, who were too old, really, to have children. But Paul tells us in Romans 4 that not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he who had promised it was able also to perform it. And it was accredited to him to, as righteousness. Believing that he who has promised it will perform it. A promise or a command. What about Gideon? Judges chapter 6 and 7. You may recall the story of Gideon. An angel comes to him and says, You mighty man of valor. And he says, I'm, Am I a mighty man of valor? He says, Why are all these things happening to us, Lord? The people of Israel had gone astray and the Midianites were about to conquer them. And God gives them a promise that I will use you to conquer this large army of Midianites, Gideon. I'll use you. And so he, you recall the, the famous account of the fleece. And he says, okay, Lord, if it's really you speaking to me, and that's a good thing to do. I'm not saying put a fleece before every 
thing you hear God say. I mean, just some of you got to walk out. We have to walk out believing. But at times there are huge things in our life that we're asking God to give us clarity on and, and direct this one. And so true with Gideon, he's still like, okay, Lord, if it's you, then I'm going to take this fleece, a lamb's skin, right? And I'm going to put it out and overnight just let the dew be on the fleece alone and that the ground all around is dry. Remember what happened? He woke up and the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. Judges chapter 6 and 7, read it. And then he says, okay, please don't be angry with me, God. I mean, I believe you, but please, if it's really you, now cause the dew to be all around the fleece and the fleece dry. And so he goes to bed one more time, wakes up, the dew all around is wet, the fleece is dry. <laughs> Can't get out of this one, must be God. Faith. Joshua. The walls of Jericho, you're familiar with it? God had promised Joshua. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2 the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. And then he gave him the commands of how to march around the walls and that the walls would fall and the walls did fall. And did you know you can go to Israel today and find that ruin? It really happened. It's really there. Elijah. Elijah was a man who at times his faith faltered. You know, at one point he was in a cave and God came to him and said, why are you here? But at another point he really exercised faith when God told him to go to the Israelite king at the time, Ahab. And he went to the king and told the king that the Israelite nation has gone astray. It's, it's lost its Mark, it, it's no longer serving the one true God. It's serving Baal, B-A-L-L, B-A-A-L, idols. And he says to him, he says, Therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And there were 450 prophets of the idol, the false god Baal. 450. And you remember the account, 1 Kings 18. He says, all you prophets call on the name of your God. Build an altar and call upon him. So they put wood and they put a moat around it, water. And then they start calling on Baal. Come, O oh God, and show us that you're true and, and you know, Accept this altar, this offering that we have. And they cried out all day long. They cried. They cried. Elijah said to him, cry a little bit longer. Maybe he's on vacation. <laughs> you ever feel like God's on vacation? He's not listening. Then so they begin to mark themselves and cry out more. God. Oh, Baal, Baal, come. Receive it. No answer. They're crying out to a false god. Who do you cry out to this morning? 
And so Elijah says, love it. Hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The scripture tells us fire fell and consumed the altar. Faith. Peter in the boat, you remember that. Call to me, Lord, and I'll come to you. They're out on the uh, Sea of Galilee and a storm comes and the boat's going crazy. And there was this period in my life I sailed for 10 years. And I've shared with you some of those experiences. And one of them very clear was uh, in San Francisco Bay. And the winds must have been 35 miles an hour. And I came out from behind Angel Island with a buddy of mine in, in this little tiny sailing boat we had. And the wind just pushed that thing all over. And I was trying everything I could do to correct it to get back to the, the, the dock at Berkeley. And I realized, man, this isn't going to work. God, help. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't say, come out and walk on the water to me. <laughs> but he kind of turned my head around. I threw that thing downwind, dropped all the sails, fired up the motor, and so. <laughs> But can you imagine he's out on the water and P Peter calling to me, Lord, and I'll come to you. And so Peter goes out, faith. His faith began to alter when he looked at the circumstance. Doubt sees the obstacle. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees darkness night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt question, who believes? Faith answers, I. George Mueller, famous uh, Englishman who created homes for children in England that had no parents or were on the streets. And George Mueller exercised great faith his entire life by determining he would never ask man for anything. He would only ask God. And multiple times, the resources that were needed for those orphanages would show up. He says that faith begins where sight and senses fail. Faith knows that there's nothing too hard for God, Genesis 18, Luke 18, that all things are possible through God who strengthens me, Paul wrote in Philippians 4, and it is the normal desire of every Christian to have their faith increased. It is my desire. Perhaps it's yours this morning. You remember the man whose, whose child had epileptic seizures and Jesus said, how long has this been going on? He said, well, ever since he was uh, born. He, and Jesus said, you know, all things are possible if you'll just believe. And the boy was healed. What is faith? Maybe you're asking that at this moment. Faith, great chapter to read in your recreational reading. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, verse 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Say it with me. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And faith always has room, faith in God through Christ that walks with a promise or a command. Faith always has room to grow. What shall we say? The writer to the Hebrews writes, for the time will fail me as it will fail me today. For the time would fail me to speak of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead, raised to life again, who were tortured, would not accept deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see how faith is tied intimately and permanently to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so profoundly reinforced in this, our Bible, And maybe you walked through those doors this morning not even questioning it. But isn't it best to know what you believe and why you believe it? Because faith is connected to the resurrection and hope is connected to faith. Let's talk about hope. There are three things I want to share with you in closing this morning. That there is a truth about hope, there is a fact about hope, and there is a difference. The truth is found in Proverbs 13, 12. I'll read it for you. You can read it later today. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are a lot, unfortunately, there are so many people walking the face of our planet today, walking in our nation, walking perhaps in our own community that are sick. Why? Because they have a hope in something other than the one and true living God. And time after time after time after time, they were hoping in fails them. Whether it's a relationship or a career or uh, some event to happen. And then it fails and then their heart is sick because their hope was deferred. That's a truth. There's also a fact that you and I were once like that as well. Can I get an amen? You know, maybe you grew up in the church and you can't remember a day when, when you are without hope. The scripture tells us, the verse uh, in the Bible that tells us who we are, Ephesians 2.12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. 
I know what that's like. Maybe you know what that's like. To know about God, but not know God. To think you understand things about God, but not walk in a relationship with God. The Bible tells us that in that situation, we are without hope. Is that you this morning? You see, this is a very powerful and uh, exceptional moment that perhaps you recognize, oh God, that's me. I've put my hope in different things other than you, and I sense that I'm without hope. But the third thing is that there's a difference between the truth of those who are sick and the fact of those who know they're without hope. There's a difference, and it comes to us in 1 Thessalonians 4. When Paul said to the ones in Thessalonica, he said, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Lord knows we've experienced a lot of loss in this fellowship recently. We've experienced a lot of loss in families in an ongoing way. But Paul said, lest I don't want you to be ignorant about those who've died, lest we sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe, and here's the key, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, First Thessalonians 4, 13 all the way through, verse 18, that, you know, we could wrestle here for another half hour on just what that verse talks about in terms of amillennialism, uh, predestination, uh, tribulation, post, mid, or after. I mean, there's a lot of things there, but the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible says that Jesus, when he comes back, will have everyone that died in Christ. So at some point, it speaks about the fact of the rapture of the church taking place before the Antichrist is revealed, before the seven years of, of tribulation, the first three and a half being the second three and a half being tribulation. And then Christ comes and he, who's he bringing with him? The church. If you believe, do you believe it this morning? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be gathered together with him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. What did we start with? Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your and my faith and hope are in God. Who is this Jesus we're talking about? Man. This struck me, and if you want any of these notes, they're available in the foyer. And then if you'd like this 
account of who Jesus is, it will be available as well. Who is this Jesus? He was born of a woman that we could be born of God. He humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. He became a servant so that we could be made co-heirs. He suffered rejection so that we could become friends with him. He blesses the young. He cleanses the leper. He defends the feeble. He delivers the captives. He discharges the debtors. He forgives sinners. He franchises the meek. He guards the besieged. He heals the sick, gives strength to the weak. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He serves the unfortunate. He is sympathetic and he saves. His reign is righteous. His promises are sure. His goodness is limitless. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is everlasting. His word is enough. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could explain him to you. But I can't because he's, he's indescribable. He's irresistible. And the heaven of heavens can't contain him. Man cannot explain him. Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they learned soon that they couldn't stop him. Pilate could find no fault in him. Witnesses couldn't agree against him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't keep him. And the grave could not hold him. He was always, he has always been and he always will be. He had no predecessor and he will have no successor. You can't impeach him and he won't resign. And his name is above every other name that at the name of Jesus, Yeshua, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his kingdom and his power and his glory are forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is our resurrected king. This is who our faith is in. This is who our hope is connected to. Christ himself. Have you given your life to him? Have you said yes to his ultimate sacrifice? For this morning, and those of you who may be watching at home, there's a clarion call going out into the heart of those that at before this time were just wondering. And the Lord is speaking and he's saying, I want you. I died for you. I rose for you. And you have an opportunity to commit or recommit your life to him this morning and right now as we close in prayer, as we close in worship. And those of us that may already be walking in relationship with him, it's an opportunity to simply exalt him in our heart for who he is. Will you join me as we pray and as we worship?
Lord, this morning we recognize that it is indeed special because it is the time of the year in which the church celebrates your resurrection. And yet, you have told us in the scriptures that it is in you that we live and move and have our being, that the celebration of your resurrection can be and should be an everyday reality. And yet, to gather and to collectively celebrate, Lord, what a blessing. We hear you calling this morning, Lord. Calling us closer to yourself. And we're so grateful that you're whispering. You know each one of our hearts. And that we're celebrating, Lord. Have your way every heart and every life today we pray we ask it in Jesus name